Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. This week, I sit down with authors Sharon Betters and Susan Hunt to talk about aging with grace. Sharon is a mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, and co-founder of Mark Inc. Ministries. Susan is a mother, grandmother, and former director of Women's Ministries for the Presbyterian Church in America. Psalm 92 says, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. Aging with Grace came out of a conversation Sharon and Susan had about their desire to experience just that. Today we talk about healthy rhythms you can establish that will help you age with grace as your body slows down. We talk about dealing with exhaustion and grief as you care for an aging parent or sick spouse. We talk about the joy and necessity of walking with both younger women and older women. By the end of our conversation, I was filled with so much joy and hope for the days ahead. And I believe you will be too. If you like what you hear on the Grace Enough podcast and are a regular listener, I would like to encourage you to go one step further and connect with me at graceenoughpodcast.com. On the homepage, scroll down, enter your name and email address. First, you will be sent a welcome email with a free download, 10 Scripture Prayers to Calm Your Heart. Then, one time a month, I will connect with you sharing previous episodes, what I'm reading or listening to, favorite resources and recipes, and occasionally request listener feedback. You can reply to those emails at any time to send me a guest recommendation, a comment, or a simple hello. I would love to connect with you. Without further ado, let's jump into episode 111 with Sharon Betters and Susan Hunt, Aging with Grace. We're going to just jump in so that our listeners know a little bit about the two of you. And so, Susan, will you take a moment and introduce our listeners to you, your family, tell everybody just a little bit about what you do. I live in Marietta, Georgia, which is a suburb of Atlanta. I'm 81 years old. And I, I'm living every mother-grandmother's dream. I live between my two daughters. Oh. Uh, it is just so exciting that I get to see grandchildren coming and going. I get to be a part of their lives. And then our son lives close by. So all of my kids and most of the grandkids, some are in college and out working, but many of them are here. It's, it's just such a sweet time. It really is. I was widowed 14 months ago after being married to my beloved husband for 56 years. Wow. He was a pastor. And so we served in ministry and it was such a wonderful life. But the Lord's provision of this season of my life is very sweet. Susan, thank you for that. I, I love that um, you're with your family. That's probably the greatest desire of my heart is that my kids will be close by because we don't have the benefit of that right now, but the Lord knows. So maybe we will be with them again at some point. And so Sharon, how about you? Well, I've been married to my husband Chuck for 52 years. We just celebrated our 52nd anniversary 
We have four children. We have 14 grandchildren. We have a great grandson and a great granddaughter on the way. And I guess you can tell by the way I'm talking what my priorities are. Uh, family, <laughs> spending time with family. Our home is in Delaware. Um, my husband retired from the pastorate in 2016. And so we spend a lot of uh, winters in Florida. And the great thing is we live near Disney, so we get lots of grandkid time. That's right. Anything for the grandkids. So here we are. Well, and it's interesting. So have they been able to come down and go during the time of COVID? Because I know it's open now. It's just different. They, the first year we were in this house, I think we had three weeks all winter where we didn't have anybody with us. So we had lots of company making lots of memories, great family times. This year has been very different. In fact, when they did venture down within 24 hours, um, I think three of them were diagnosed with COVID. And so that ended that very quickly, you know, and it just went through them. So, um, so we're, we're starting to get back to normal a little bit, looking forward to those days when we can have them come whenever they want, however long they want. Yes. Aren't we all? Well, ladies, today we are going to be talking about Aging with Grace because you all have written a new book that I have thoroughly enjoyed. I'm not all the way finished yet, but I'm getting closer. I'm about halfway through now. And so as we begin to launch into that, I want to say, um, or I want to tell the listeners something that um, Susan wrote. She says, the world tells us aging is our enemy and we should fight it. But the Bible says it's our friend. As written in Job 12, 12, wisdom is with the aged and understanding in length of days. And so as we live in this culture that just attempts to cover up aging at all costs, we go to great lengths to do that. What would you say aging with grace actually is? Amber, I think that we have to step back and take sort of a big look at this. First of all, Sharon and I in no way are saying that there's anything wrong with trying to live a healthy lifestyle, eating healthy, caring about our appearance. But the reality is there's no way to stop aging. The wrinkles and the weakness will come. So if youthfulness is our goal, first of all, it's a pretty shallow goal, but it will also disappoint us terribly. But the gospel offers something so much bigger, so much better, something that's eternal. So what we need to do when we think about aging is to think, what does the Bible say? And that's what first drove Sharon and me to think about this topic is, what does the Bible tell us about aging? Because we're aging. Mm-hmm. And we were led to Psalm 92, which is one of our primary passages. And in this psalm, God holds before us a remarkable promise, a vision for aging. Let me read verses 12 to 14. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit. In old age, they are ever full of sap and green. So we have to ask, who are the righteous? Who is this for? Well, the righteous are the justified ones, the ones that God has declared to be righteous on the basis of the righteousness of Christ being imputed to us. So the the very term 
that we are righteous means that we stand before God as if we had never sinned and just as righteous as Jesus Christ. What a glorious vision is that? What a big picture is that? But then we have to ask, what does the Bible tell us that it means to flourish? We normally think in terms of activity and productivity. And, and those things are important. But Jesus tells us in John 12, the hours come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it brings much fruit. To flourish means to bear fruit, to thrive. And so Jesus is talking here about his death and glorification, that he must die in order to be glorified. But it also gives us the pattern for our spiritual life. We have to die to self in order to experience the resurrection life of Christ. So as counterintuitive as it seems, aging with grace means dying to self and by the power of the grace that is in us, because we are the righteous ones, we can flourish. And there's no age limit on that. We can flourish until our final breath. Flourishing in scripture is the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of repentance, the fruit of righteousness. It's the character of Christ being produced in us. It's not necessarily doing more. It's becoming more like Christ. Mm. Now, where are we planted? This passage goes on to tell, tell us that we're planted in the house of the Lord. Tree does not plant itself. God sovereignly plants us in the place where he intends us to be, where he intends us to flourish and where he intends us to help others flourish. We're planted in his house, in his church. We belong. Flourishing is going to happen in community. I love Sharon's um, story about when she first began thinking about being an older woman. And I love it so much because the Lord began giving her this, this grand vision for mm. flourishing in old age when she was still in her 20s. Sharon, would you share that with us? Yeah, it's fun to go back to that time. My husband had been a Christian for about a year. And wow. by uh, a crazy turn of events, he was pastoring a city church after being coming out of a Catholic background into a Protestant church. So you can imagine how tumultuous those days were at times. And because my pastor's wife had always taught Bible study, I thought that was my job. I was supposed to teach Bible study. So I'm 21, 22 years old. And I announced we're having a Bible study at my house and five elderly women. Now I was in my twenties, so maybe they weren't old, old, but to me, they seemed very old and they came every week, sat around the dining room table and let me teach them. And, you know, I think back to who did I think I was, mm -hmm. <laughs> but they were so gracious. They acted as though this was the high point of their week. They found out that I loved roses and lilies of the valley. And in the city of Philadelphia, teeny tiny gardens, they would bring me bouquets of flowers and they just encouraged me. They let me cut my teeth on them. I was, wow. when I look back, I'm just amazed at how they never missed a week um, and encouraged me in that calling. But in that same church, there were some elderly women and they were elderly and they were, um, they were not life givers for me. They would criticize my husband to me 
you know, imagine as a 20 something and, oh. and listening to them tell me all the things my husband was doing wrong. Um, they were snarky. They, they owned the church. That was their church. They had been there forever. It was their own property and any changes that we made or wanted to make, we, we just had to go through uh, hoops all the time. It was very snarky. And I thought that's when I started thinking about what did I want to be like when I was their age? What did I, how could I become that gracious, lovely woman who was encouraging this younger woman um, and really humbling, being humble, dying to self, because yeah. I'm sure they could have taught the Bible study much better than me. And so that's when I started thinking about what it means to uh, grow in grace. It was a seed that was planted and there would be other events that would start nourishing it and growing in, but it was there in my heart. I, I had to make a choice, which, which one was I going to be a life giver or a life taker? I'm so thankful for those life-giving women way back then to this little, little young girl. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about that though, Sharon, like you say, there were some seeds that were planted. Mm -hmm. What were some of the things like, for example, I'm 42 right now and I've been thinking about it for a long time and realized that it is some hard work. Maybe hard's not the right way. Maybe, maybe intentional work is the right word. And I was sharing with you ladies earlier I remember being a young mom in my thirties and living in an area where it, it, there was so much pressure to mm. just remain youthful to, with your looks, with everything, just pressure, pressure. And I see it now that I'm out of that place, that same pressure being put on my friends who are now 40. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, Sharon, what were some of the things that you kind of nourished in that like 30, 40 year range that you think made a difference? Well, I think uh, one of the things to go back to what Susan talked about is that we are planted by the Lord in his house. Um, he says, blessed are those who are planted in, in the courtyard and, and walk in the courtyards of the Lord. So when you think about flourishing, you, when you hear the word flourishing, I, I think all of us think, well, they're flourishing because of their environment. Uh, it could be a child that is placed for adoption. That child is flourishing because of the family that they are in. And so for to age with grace, you have to think, okay, what does it mean to flourish? It means to be healthy, to grow in a healthy way, mm. especially in a healthy environment. And so when God plants us in his house, he is planting us in this incredible environment that is packed with gifts for us to open up throughout our lives. And I think that one of the struggles that we put on ourselves, that if I could talk to my younger self and tell my younger self this is, those gifts are not obligations. I mean, they're not, wow. they're not the burdens to carry. They are gifts to open that are going to bless us in ways that we may not experience right then, but we are nourishing those seeds and, and those, um, the truths that God has given to us with his word, with prayer, with community, all of the promises that God has given to us. And each season of life, there are things that happen and you can experience losses when you are in your twenties, uh, you can experience losses all, but I think when you're older, the losses become, maybe they come a little bit faster. And so being intentional, I love that word. We use that word a lot, being intentional about making choices of, you know, what's important here. It's like taking medicine for my soul, the mm. word God, having that, that regular time, uh, even when you don't feel like it showing up and asking the Lord to, to speak through his word, prayer, uh, surrounding yourself with the people who are going to speak truth to you, looking at what does the Bible say about aging versus yeah. 
what does the culture say? And, and believe me, women my age are feeling that pressure of uh, that 20 something, that 30 something of be more, you know, not be more, do more, do more. If you look, if you watch the commercials, the marketing, yes, it's about the creams and the, you know, get rid of the wrinkles and all that kind of stuff. But it's also about doing, you know, yes. hike up that mountain, start that business, whatever it is, that is a sign of flourishing to our culture. Mm-hmm. That is not what God is talking about in Psalm 92. Wow. Susan, do you have anything to add that you would say to that really any age, but typically the ones on, you know, the younger side that are really thinking more in that long view? I think if we stop again and think biblically, that's a discipline because we're hearing the world's messages all the time. And so we have to just hit that pause button and say, is this what God's word says? And so much hinges on us understanding what God's word says about our purpose. The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks a compelling question. What is the chief end of man? And the exquisite answer is to glorify God and enjoy Enjoy him him forever. forever. A younger woman asked me once, is it not egotistical of God to create us for his glory? And that's a very thoughtful question. And I appreciated that question. Actually, I had never been asked it before. And it was one of those times when I had helped Lord give me the answer right now. I just never formulated it. But then what I said to her was, think about it. If if your purpose is your own glory, if you're living for self, you're going to never be satisfied. And is that not a shallow reason for being. Mm-hmm. But if we're actually put on this earth to reflect the very character, the glory of God, what an amazing eternal purpose. As insignificant as I seem to be, as I feel that I am, I gain significance by giving all glory to the significant one. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing more significant than that. And then the more we glorify him, the more we enjoy him. And this is where the real joy of life comes. And the more we enjoy him, the more we glorify him. So I would say really contemplate in every relationship and every season of life, every situation, how do I glorify God? Yeah. That will help to focus. Well, and you guys have kind of already shared parts of this, but I just want to make sure that we tie up any loose ends because something we were going to talk about is just healthy rhythms and practices so that women can establish now, you know, what will help them to continue aging with grace as their bodies slow down. And I know we talked a little bit about prayer and, you know, different disciplines, but is there anything that you would add to what you've already said for those rhythms and practices? Actually, I think that Psalm 92 gives us a picture of that. Yeah. And if we go back to the beginning, it's a sense in which at the beginning, we see the rhythms that enable us to flourish If you go back to the beginning of Psalm 92, the first thing we see is that this is a song for the Sabbath. This was a communal song that was sung by the covenant community Sunday after Sunday, week after week as they worshiped. 
so it begins, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. Hmm. When we see those words, it is good. It is a subtle reminder of the rhythm of creation. At the end of each creation day, God said, it is good. And here we see that it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to praise the name of the Most High. Mm. Thomas uses two names for God that show us he knew God in an intimate way. The word Lord, written in all caps, is uh, Yahweh, the Hebrew Yahweh, which means God is showing himself to us as a personal covenant-making, covenant-keeping God who binds himself to us in a forever relationship of love. Mm. That's a lot. And the more I dwell upon that and realize he has bound himself to me in covenant faithfulness, he will keep every promise. Mm. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will live among you. I will never leave you or forsake you. That just is so rich and so full. But then he also uses the name Almost High, which shows that the psalmist understood the transcendent majesty and glory of God. So here we have the familial tenderness and nearness of God as our covenant father, and then the transcendence of him as our king. And so Knowing that is so important in establishing the rhythms of our lives. Then he goes on to say that it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises for your name, to declare your steadfast love and faithfulness. Declaring the gospel to ourselves is a rhythm that should be daily. We need to morning and evening and all through the day remind ourselves of the gospel, of his steadfast love and faithfulness. And then you have made me glad by the work of your hand. Mm. Think about that. It's not our circumstances or the people in our lives. Of course, those things bring us joy, but it's God who makes us glad. Mm. And so we need to turn this into a prayer. Lord, make me glad yes. with the joy of your presence. It's a prayer that I pray over and over throughout the day, if I feel myself sinking into, this is useless, it doesn't matter, I, I don't matter, mm-hmm. Lord, make me glad with the joy of your presence. So I think those are some, some rhythms we can get into, expressing mm-hmm. our gratitude every day, over and over and praying, Lord, give me a grateful heart. Give me open eyes to see all that you're doing in me and for me. And make my heart glad with the joy of your presence. Oh, I just love that. Love, love, love it. Yes, go ahead, Sharon. Add uh, a couple of things to that. You mentioned earlier about um, what would we say to younger women? And Susan and I wrote this book, obviously for individuals, but always with the idea of older and younger women meeting together and studying together and learning from each other, not just older women teaching younger women, but really hearing younger women and and listening to younger women. 
And so I, I think that's a rhythm of life that we are, it's a normal part of life that we are being intentional about making sure that we are involved, not just with our own age group, but intergenerational settings, whether yes. it's a small group at the church or a small group Bible study or our, our friend circle, that we are making sure that we have young people in our lives. And, you know, that's again, a dying to sell for some people because it's so much easier just to hang on to your own thoughts, your own beliefs, what you think is right, you know, black and white. It's harder when you start listening to the yeah. next generation. I'm speaking as an older woman. These are challenging days. And um, as an older woman, I could just stay stuck in my ways and say, this is the right way. And you guys are all crazy. Or listening to what God's word says about pouring into the lives of others and saying, okay, let me take a step back here. When should I keep my mouth shut? When do mm -hmm. I need, to, and where have I been wrong? Um, we learn that in our interactions with one another often. And, and when we discover we are wrong, that will lead us to repentance as we are planted in the house of the Lord. Mm -hmm. That leads to humility, which is yeah. a fruit of the spirit, ever growing, evergreen. And so I think that's, it's critical that we keep those connections. And one of the ways that we try to help do that through this book is we wrote a leader's guide, um, which is chock full of extra um, bonuses and also uh, video links at agingwithgrace.online. That's I'll give it a plug agingwithgrace.online. Yeah. Where the link is there for the, the book, the leader's guide, but also a series of uh, videos, five minute videos with the, what we call our storytellers in the book. Uh, where we we ask them, they're over 70 years of age, 70 to 90 years of age, and we ask them a question about aging. They answer it in five minutes, but in the book at the end of each chapter, we have one of them tell their stories. We call them our story. There is that intergenerational feel that it, it's so rich and deep. And I know Susan and you too, Amber, we can all agree, where would we be without those, as Susan has called them, gospel friends, who are there to help carry us through those really crazy times. Yeah. Well, and I think about when I've been in Bible study fellowship and community Bible study, and I think about when they really started making the shift to more intergenerational groups. And, you know, I heard different feedback, just having been in some leadership positions there, but I would just keep encouraging people, you know, sit close, listen, there's so much to glean from this change it's needed and it's not like i wasn't just speaking to people my age i was saying even the older ones you know sometimes they don't want to hear because younger people we can be so prideful and act like we know everything and we don't you know i mean it goes back and forth it goes both ways right so um, i love that gift i did not realize there was something online so i will certainly um, put those links in the show notes but as we're talking about this you know, Sharon, there, if we are thinking about a 50 to 65 year old who is really in that place where maybe they're caring for an aging parent, uh, maybe they're in a really difficult place where their spouse is getting sick, you're, you're looking at so many different things and you're exhausted. And I mean, the sadness is real. It, it's something you, you have to grieve. You cannot just keep pushing on acting like it's not, you know, that it's not happening to you. What would you say to encourage those women who are at that place of just full on fatigue? Well, first of all, you hit right on it. You give yourself permission to grieve. 
this is a loss and um, it is a loss that is deep. It could be that you were looking forward to retirement and right after you retired, you were hit with a, an illness that is gonna keep you home uh, where you cannot be around other people. Just being in this pandemic that we are in right now has amplified all of those needs, uh, yes. has amplified the isolation and the loneliness and the weariness. Even being alone is wearisome uh, too. Yeah. And one of the things that I love, I love your question. Um, I think that we've also answered that question through the stories of these women yeah. at the end of each chapter, because each one of them has experienced something of what you are mentioning. And so I think that, first of all, I want to tell you, uh, I'm so very sorry that you are experiencing these losses. Um, each loss is a reminder that we don't belong here, that yeah. when we're God's children, when we know him through Jesus, we are on our way home, capital mm -hmm. H. And so each loss is a memory of that that drives us, can drive us to the cross, uh, drive us to him. I want to acknowledge though, if you're a caregiver, uh, especially your minutes are few. And so when you hear somebody say, well, you need to spend time in the word and those kinds of things, you're thinking, I just need to rest. I just need to sleep. How can I do that? Well, be creative about how you're going to uh, really put the word into your soul. We live in a world of technology. And if you don't know how to do it, get one of your grandkids or the neighbor kid to come over and show you how to find podcasts that uh, you can listen to while you're doing the laundry or fixing a meal or going for a walk. Um, make sure that you're soaking your heart in the word some way, even just by keeping Christian music on in the background uh, so that there's a constant reminder of God's faithfulness in your life. Uh, second, and this might sound counterintuitive, but ask the Lord to show you how you can be a blessing to somebody else. And one of the stories that we heard through our storytellers was um, the, the small group of women during the pandemic, elderly women. Uh, one had been widowed, very, very lonely, and she was angry at the church because the church had not come through for her. She felt forgotten. Um, nobody reached out to her. And this group of elderly women challenged her, well, maybe you're the one that is supposed to be reaching out. Um, and so she felt convicted by it. She was angry at first. And yeah. then the next week she came back and said, um, I feel convicted by this. And I've started, I'm committed to every day reaching out with a note or a phone call to someone else. And, and she said, I'm finding out I'm not the only lonely person. Yep. I'm the only weary person. Um, the world is filled with hurting people. And even when we're by ourselves, maybe more than that, um, more when we're by ourselves, we have the opportunities uh, to reach out. And then I would also say, um, ask the Lord to give you at least one person that you can call anytime, text them and say, I just need prayer. Even if, if you don't want to talk about it, but you know that that's a prayer warrior. And, and you might immediately say, well, I don't have anybody. I'm, I'm alone. Pray and ask the Lord to show you how to proceed in that place. You, I, I just feel like you will be surprised when you go to him with open hands and, and expectantly pray expectantly for him to provide for those needs. Yeah. And then pay attention, right? Cause sometimes I've noticed I've prayed and the answer's right there. Yes. And yeah. I'm like, yes. oh my gosh, it's right there. <laughs> 
And I, I would add one more practical thing too. Uh, we've talked a lot about thinking biblically, you know, what does the Bible say about aging? What does the Bible say about those seasons of losses that mm. we are going to experience and the weariness? So find scripture that you can put on a three by five card, um, you know, like 10 verses and put them all over your house, yeah. put them in, on your mirror, on your bed, on the refrigerator, in the car to remind you of the faithfulness of God, that even though it doesn't feel like it right then, the truth, we have to go with what is true, not our emotions. And so the word is like medicine to yeah. us with what the truth is. Well, and I love that you say that. And what comes to mind is actually you, one of your, your friends, the two of you, not mine, but I've just follow her on um, social media is Nancy and her husband, as they have battled this cancer diagnosis and how she literally has bright post-it notes all over her entire house, just thanking and praising God for what he is doing. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, like I have chills on my body just thinking about that because it's not the, it's not the easy choice. Mm -hmm. So it's, that's great. I just want to add one more little story to that. Um, my sister's husband died six weeks after he was diagnosed with cancer and uh, both committed Christians, believers, and she was determined to believe God is good all the time. That was her mantra. And while he was sick, she, um, the pain was awful and he wouldn't be able to sleep. And she asked us to send her scriptures that she could read to him when he was in really bad shape, mm. which we did. And she said that when she could not console him any other way, she would read the word to him, those verses. And she said, it was like he had been hooked up to some kind of medicine because his heart rate would slow down. It would, it just had a dramatic change on him. And so when he died, she took those cards and put them all over her house yeah. to remind herself. So it's a practical way of opening up one of those gifts that God mm. gives us when we're planted in, in his house. Yeah. Oh, such good words, ladies. Well, Susan, one way the Bible encourages older women um, to really live into this process is what we've kind of talked about. It's coming alongside younger women and investing in them. And so how, and I would love for both of you all to share, but we'll start with you, Susan. How have you personally poured into, you know, a younger woman and what charge do you have for other older women listening right now? I was uh, about 50, so about 30 years ago that I really became captivated with Titus 2, 3 to 5, that older women are to teach and train younger women. And then it concludes with that the word of God may not be dishonored. And that was compelling to me. I did not understand exactly what this older woman, younger woman dynamic was. But at stake was the honor of God's word. Yeah. And so I wanted to know. I was teaching a Bible study. And there were some older women in the Bible study. I was about 50. They were in their 70s to 80s. And then our church began growing with a lot of younger women, young marrieds. And those young women began coming to the study. So we had this really three age groups. I was just amazed as I tried to implement a Titus II perspective into that Bible study and to help them to begin, not just all the older women sitting at a table and the younger women sitting at a table, but to divide them up, to divide them up as prayer partners 
And Titus II just came alive for me. It was just absolutely wow. amazing. Now, because I've been privileged to live in the same place for about 30 years, those young women are still in my life. The ones who were young marrieds are now age I was at that time. They're in their 50s. And they come to my house once a month for us wow. to share life together. And it has struck me how often their conversations are about do you remember when Miss So-and-so said, and then they would tell about a conversation around those tables with the older women. So in many ways, Amber, what I'm saying is I know that it needs to look and feel organic, but at the same time, I really think the church has to assume a responsibility for this and give us opportunities. Yep. Because this mandate is not just given to women, the Titus II mandate, it's given to the pastor of the church. Mm. And so a women's ministry can facilitate this by not dividing the women up always by age category. Now, you're going to have to teach the importance and show them from Scripture that one of the rhythms of Scripture is one generation telling the next generation. And so we have to give opportunities for that to happen and then help them to begin to see the richness of it. Mm -hmm. And so I've been able to live that out in my own community right here where I am. And I will say to women, say those of you in your 40s and 50s, to become involved in looking behind you to the women who are maybe even teenagers. Because now one of the great blessings of my life is the way these younger women love me and care for me. They're right there with me. Mm. And it's just such a sweet way to live life. So think about thinking intergenerationally yeah. and structuring your programs so that that can happen. I love that. Thank you, Susan. Yeah. I mean, I even think about when I led a group of high school girls, this is when I was single still back in my twenties and not that I wouldn't do it now. Um, it's just, uh, it recalls some memories and how I stood up and read scripture in one of those girls weddings just last summer. And it's just so interesting, right? Because even though we don't live in the same city, I see Olivia at times wanting to model some of the things that we have done, not because we're, you know, sinless or anything like that, but because we have a place in her life that I would not have had, had I not spent those years with her. So it's so true. It's not, it doesn't really matter your age. You can always be pouring into someone a few steps behind you. And really, I think the, the Titus two passage calls us to be doing both at the same time, mm -hmm. looking behind us and pouring into those. And so often it's just a conversation, but at the same time, we must be sure that it's a gospel conversation. Yes. As Paul said in Thessalonians, that we're sharing the gospel and our lives, mm. which is what the teach and train words in Titus 2 call us to teach the content of the gospel, but at the same time, show them, train them mm. to see what it looks like to be lived out in life. It's, it's part of what makes church life so glorious yeah. and beautiful and something that the world looks at and what they want to know. How do we do? That's right. Well, Sharon, do you have any um, examples there that you would like to share on that one? 
Well, I think I love the way Susan uh, talks about spiritual mothering. And of course, she wrote this classic called Spiritual Mothering that <laughs> has impacted us. I mean, people all over the world are learning right. those relationships. And I think it also ties in with aging with grace that as you are being intentional as a young woman, uh, pouring into the lives, and Susan has mentioned this, that at, when you're older, those women are going to be in your life and they are going to be the ones that are going to be caring for you in ways that uh, strangers could never because of your shared yeah. history. And I think about when our, um, our son, Mark, and his friend, Kelly, were in a fatal car accident when he was 16. And God was so good in giving us encouragers and supporters. Our church was wonderful. But it's interesting that our house was always filled with people our children's age, young adults. Yeah because our home was always open to them. We had poured into them and they were the ones that, you know, they were ready and willing to do whatever needed to be done. And they stuck with us after other people mm -hmm. went home, they stayed there. And so I see, you know, as an older person now, I think back to those Bible studies where it would just be for young moms. I, I would teach young moms just to have, mm -hmm. so they could have theirs, but then we would have older women come and share in those. And they loved it. They loved having that example. Yes. And one one practical thing I would say, older ladies um, and younger women, one of the best places to meet young women uh, and make friends is in the church nursery. So go and hold and rock some babies. It's and so true. Yes, look for that mom who has three little guys that she needs help to go out to the car or carry one of the babies or soothe one. That's a great place to make friendships if you, if you uh, are new in the church or just Maybe you've been there for 40 years and you feel like I don't have anybody young in my life. That's a great place to meet somebody. It so is. And I, I can't help but just share stories because I think about my friends, they're twins, Allison and Heather. And when my babies were babies, I just remember them coming and picking, you know, my oldest up and taking him to Bible study so that he could still go while I was home with my baby. And I remember them bringing me meals and me calling and saying, this one has an ear infection and I've got to take him. Can I just drop this one off at your house? And they just always did it. Mm -hmm. And even though I'm, I knew them better through BSF, it was really because Heather was the director of nursery at our church. That's how we ever came in contact with one another. So it's so, it's just so true how that works. If you're open and willing to engage in relationships. And so, well, ladies, something that you do in your book that I love is talk about the older women in the Bible and you walk through their stories. In addition to sharing your storytellers who are real life friends or people that you've met that came and share their story. And so, but we learn from testimonies and from God's word, and you guys do that beautifully in this book. And so when you think about older women in the Bible, which of their lives really had a significant impact on you and why? I know Sharon was thinking about speaking to this one, but really I'm open to either or both. I loved this part of writing the book. And that was, uh, it was my job to get inside the skin of these women. And I love doing that. The Bible uses powerful words uh, to describe people, but doesn't give us a whole lot of details at times. And I think it's because Jesus is the, is to be on, on. He's the star. He is the star. And so their lives, we don't want them to get in the way of uh, his story, but 
we also can imagine and get inside the skin of these people. And one group in particular, uh, the matriarchs, we call them the matriarchs of Jeremiah. We felt as though this is a group that maybe doesn't get a whole lot of attention, but if you're familiar with uh, Jeremiah's days, he was called the weeping prophet because he was always bringing words of discipline and doom to the Israelites who were always being disobedient. And in Jeremiah 29, uh, we find them in exile. The Israelites are in exile. They're in Babylon because once more they have been disobedient and worshiped other gods. And of course, they wanted to go back home. They wanted to go back to what they knew. And I understand that. And everyone who has experienced any kind of loss understands, I want to go back to what it was. And um, and they wanted to go home. And so they uh, were looking for people to tell them when they would go home. And they found some leaders who said, you're going to go home in two years. So if you're going home in two years, then you don't have to put down roots. You're just temporarily there. You don't even unpack your bags. But then Jeremiah comes along and he says, God says, this is a message from the Lord. He said, in essence, I led you into exile. So God is taking responsibility for where they are. He's sovereign. So he is overseeing all of our lives. Uh, so that's a story right there. That's a message right there. He is sovereign over my life. Then he says, you are going to be here for 70 years. I'm not going to allow you to go back for 70 years. Now think about the people who are listening to him. How many of them are going to see their homeland again That's in right. 70 years? Probably most of them will not. Uh, see not it. any of them that would remember. Not if that would remember. Uh, babies maybe, but so we zeroed in on the older women. How were they going to respond to this? Older people are, you know, we often say that they don't like change. Well, true. We don't like change. And you've had enough of it in your life. Enough of it. Um, they were homesick. You know, if you've ever been homesick, you know, it, it's hard to break that feeling. They just wanted to go back to what was, I'm imagining that this is how they felt. So they're faced with the choice. What are we going to do here? Are we going to each one? And I imagine that there were people there who had been faithful to the Lord, but this was a national sin. So they were ca caught up in the discipline as well. So they're having to make a choice. Uh, are we going to surrender to what God is saying? Or are we going to become bitter old women? I go back to that, the bitter old woman. And so God doesn't just say, you're going to be here for 70 years. Now he tells them what to do. He tells them, I want you to build houses, which is going to mean a lot of hard labor. You plant gardens. I want you to eat the fruit of your gardens. I want you to, to marry your sons and your daughters, to have babies. And I want you to pray for those who are over you because mm -hmm. if it's going well for them. It's going to go well for you. Now, this, my friends, is a roadmap for any, any kind of loss in your life. And that's how we viewed the matriarchs. They were never going to go home. They weren't going to go backwards. They had to face forward. Were they going to live with hope? And I would imagine that the idea of the next generation had to come into play for them. Would they show the next generation and the next generation what it means to trust the Lord, to surrender to his purposes, to repent of their sin? Some of them probably said, no, I'm not doing that. And in fact, Jeremiah in another passage rebukes the women, Israelite women who ran away from the discipline, who worshiped Asherah, who participated mm -hmm. in the worship and gave Asherah credit for all the blessings. 
that they were receiving. So think about you're in a hard, broken place and you turn to alcohol or opioids or mm-hmm. friendship or your children, you're looking to them or to that to give you the hope and the blessings and the healing. And Jeremiah says, it's not that is that you have your reward sort of. Okay, so there's that group. They made that decision. Then there would be the second group that would say, I'm stuck here. <laughs> and that's their attitude. I'm stuck here and I hate it. And I I'm not gonna rumble. I'm going to do what I have to do, but I'm not going to like it. And everybody's going to know I don't like it. And I think we all know people like that. <laughs> and then there's the third group who would say, I am surrendered to God's purposes. Uh, we did sin. We are being disciplined because of it. And everything he has told us to do is a sign of hope that mm. we are believing what he is telling us. Uh, it is a sign of hope and it's life-giving. I'm going to be a life giver, not a life taker. And how that impacted me personally is I had mentioned earlier, our 16 year old son, Mark and his friend were in a car accident, a fatal car accident. And this was uh, profound for me to look at this passage and apply it to my own life because I wanted to go back. I, I wanted my son back. I wanted to go back to my happy life. And I knew I was never going to go back to that. God was not going to give me back Mark. And I couldn't imagine how I was going to ever have joy again, ever. But here his was his roadmap. Here were his instructions. And I thought, okay, later he says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And um, there's a word in there, tikva for hope, which means unbroken and unbroken hope. I know the hope that you can depend on. It's unbroken. It cannot be broken. If I say it, it's true. And so I thought, what are his plans for me? And his ultimate plan is heaven. So I'm on my way home. How am I going to, I was in my forties when this happened and I was 45. Uh, So I'm halfway there. I'm over, I'm in that season of life. And God had written this roadmap for me, pour into the people around you, be a life giver, plant gardens, be fruitful, uh, just as Psalm 92 promises, uh, trust me with what I have planned for you. It is good. It is Mm. good. Do I want my son back? Yes. I, I would, I would wish that I could have him and his children and all of that as part of our lives in the darkest moments. And yet God has given grace. He has given courage. He's given wisdom every minute of the day uh, through his word and and through Jesus. And that's what I would say to anyone who is in that place where you're faced with a choice, you can't go back. It's, you know, you have the diagnosis, you've lost your spouse, you've lost your job, you feel like you don't have any identity anymore, you're purposeless. God is telling you what to do right here in this passage, uh, very practical. What does it mean for you to plant a garden? What does it mean for you to build a home? Uh, Even if you're living by yourself, what does that mean uh, for you personally? And he will show you, Mm. I promise he will show you through his word, through community, through prayer, he will show you. I mean, Sharon, thank you for being a life giver. I mean, thank you because there are, are people I don't know that have benefited and I have benefited. So thank you. Um, thank you. Ooh, as we start to close out, um, Susan, 
you write a chapter about the long view. And I feel like Sharon really just set you up well. And, you know, we lose things. Uh, and sometimes it's when we're really young when we lose things. And it doesn't even matter because you recently lost your husband and it could still feel like a lot of time without him. And so there is a choice in that. Um, and so how would you encourage somebody to really have that long view of life? I think we, again, need to start with scripture and have a long view of scripture to see the big story, eternal story that is written in scripture. And then to understand that our life follows the same pattern, that God is writing his story in our lives from birth until we take our last breath and go to heaven. And just as all of scripture or the rest of scripture, that there's nothing here that doesn't fit, the same thing is true in our lives. And so what that means then on a practical level is as I'm going through the mundane task of life, whether it's changing diapers, whether it's caring for a sick husband, whatever it is, that I see it as part of the big story, that I see it as part of glorifying God in every situation and in every relationship. And when we do that, when we can take that long view, then the mundane becomes majestic because mm. we see it as part of glorifying the God of heaven and earth. And then the other thing I would say is to often talk with older women and just tell them what's going on in your life and ask, how do you see this? What, what do you see in this? I feel stuck. What do you see? Mm. It's a question I love for younger women to ask me because I, I see beyond where they are right now. That's and so right. often women who are coming and saying maybe they're upset with the choices that an adult child or a teen child are making and they feel they have no control over that. But then as we talk on they're they're trusting the Lord and they're, they're wanting to trust the Lord in this situation. And invariably what I can say to them is I know that you see no fruit in your child's life right now. But I want you to know what I see. I see the fruit of hope and trust in you. And I see God using this to shape you into someone who trusts him and who is glorifying him. And so I see the big picture and I want to help you to see the big picture. I want you to be encouraged with what he's doing in you. Mm. And I, I, again, I call us as older women to that to help the younger women to see the bigness of God's story as it's being written in them. We only see the middle of the story from our perspective, but we need to help each other see that God is planning immeasurably more than we can even imagine. And he's working everything, not some things, every single thing for our good and his glory. Well, ladies, I am now praying for a Sharon and a Susan in my life. <laughs> so I, I mean, this has been a true gift to me. And so as people are listening, I want to make sure they know that it's aging with grace. Did you say dot online? Yes, it's all one word, aging with grace dot online. And that is, you can purchase the book at any, obviously Amazon, any of those places, but the extra resources 
are there. And now, ladies, do either of you spend any time on social media anywhere? Yes, <laughs> Facebook, but not very much. Okay, okay. Sharon, then you tell us where you are in case we want to peek in on you. I'm, I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm on Instagram, but I'm, I'm still learning about it. I asked my granddaughter to please teach me. I I'll mean, teach I, you. It's my favorite. I, I, seriously, I see these things about somebody added to their story, but by the time I get to it, there's no story. I don't even understand how it works, but I'm trying. I'm trying to learn. <laughs> my favorite. So I've, I'm teaching people right now how to use it. So maybe you need to come along with us, but I love it. Yes. Yeah. Well, ladies, thanks so much for your time today. It truly has been a gift to me. Thank you so much. We've loved being with you. Yes. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Amber. I hope you were filled with joy and hope for the days ahead. This is one of those conversations I will mark as a favorite in my listening app so I can go back and easily re-listen when I need encouragement. Don't forget, I want to hear from you. Go to graceenoughpodcast.com, enter your name and email address, download the free resource, and hit reply to send me what spoke to your heart from today's episode with Sharon and Susan. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time!